Hey, you're listening to the weekly sermon podcast, The Tab Talks, from the Lethbridge Christian Tabernacle. If you have any questions or if you'd like some more information on today's topic or about who we are, you're welcome to visit our website at thetab.ca. Thanks for tuning in. Grace and peace to you. Bless your heart. United States, they have that, this expression, bless your heart, right? What that means, I've come to the conclusion, is uh, what an idiot. <laughs> they, you know, like, um, you know, Jimmy got fired from his job again, bless his heart, right? Kevin failed out of school, bless his heart, right? And if you're there and you try to start your car when it's already running and you're that, you'll have some lady look at you and say, bless your heart. Right? Me, problem, if, if, well, I'm, well, I'm just, um, and, and the problem, if, if, well, I'm, well, I'm just chatting, turn to 1 Thessalonians 4.11, which is the verse Frank closed with last week. And I said, I'm going to open with that this week. He said, how are you going to tie that into your message? I said, I'm not sure yet, but God will show me and as I was praying this week, um, we have this toilet paper epidemic, right? And we have all of these people buying tons of toilet paper and nobody can figure it out, right? And I was one of those people saying, oh, bless their heart. <laughs> and, 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 and the Holy Spirit actually the other day rebuked me about it. And I was like, what? what's going on? And, and they're like, listen. And First uh, Thessalonians 4.11 is, is, is the, the life verse of every second and third year Bible college student. It really is, because you'll say, um, you'll say to somebody, have you studied for your apologetics exam? And they'll say, you need the First Thessalonians 4.11. And they say, what does that mean? And, and they, they tell you, they say, uh, shut up and mind your own business. Right? And it says that. Make it your goal to live a quiet life. Shut up. Minding your own business. And working with your hands just as we've instructed you. Right? So when it comes to all of the crazy that's going on with this pandemic, right? And, and people, people are scared especially non-Christians, they have no hope, they're afraid. As Christians, shut up. Mind your own business. You don't have to, oh, you're just being stupid. No, you don't have to say that. You can just show up and say, you know what? <laughs> I was thinking, I love you, but that'll work too. You know what I'm saying? Let, let's start. We've been, we've been go, having this series about, uh, about neighbors, right? What does it mean to be a neighbor? What does it actually mean to, to care about the people around you more than you care about yourself? And so we went out for wings on Thursday after Engage. There's a big table full of us sitting around, and 
Somebody actually asked the question, are we freaking out about COVID-19? And everybody says, yeah, well, they've canceled all of this, and they've stopped all of this. And at that point in time, there was 120 cases in Canada, right? And they just announced no gathering more than 250 people. They, they just did all that stuff. There's 120. So for, for two days, because they, they update the numbers at 3 p.m. our time, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right? So in 48 hours, right, the number of COVID-19 cases in Canada doubled, the number of COVID-19 cases in Alberta almost doubled. 12% of the, pop, the 242 people or 244 people, 12% of them nationally have been hospitalized. Right? And so this is a pretty serious thing. And we can sit and say, I'm comfortable, I don't feel, and we can say all of that stuff and it's fine, it's great, but let's not jump the gun and be presumptuous as, as Christians tend to do. Right? Let, let's, my, because we have a Kellen, we, we take this stuff very seriously. And my wife, if you ever have questions about this stuff, call my wife because she's reading all the time about three things. Um, anything that impacts youth, social media, and medical stuff. And so we know, just to break this down for you guys, I'm not going to belabor this point, but this, this virus will infect between 40, 40 and 65% of the, of the the population, okay? So if we have 37 million people, we can say that about 20 million people have the potential of being infected by COVID-19. Everybody clear on that? Okay, out of that, they say that 80% will be fine, 20% will be high risk, okay? So 20% of that 80%, so if we're saying 65, about 20 million people, so about 4 million people are going to be in that 20% category. Everybody with me? Okay. So we know now, right now with 240, there's 12% of them that are hospitalized. So 12% of 4 million, right? A couple hundred thousand, right? Out of that 12%, maybe 40% will need to be on a respirator which puts us at about 120,000 people. Do you know how many respirators we have in our nation? Not 120,000. And so if we don't do all of this stuff to slow this curve down, right, we're going to be sitting back saying, well, who do we decide gets the respirator? And that's the position that none of us want to be in. So at this point in time, I don't care if you think it's all ridiculous. First Thessalonians 4.11. Let's be quiet. Let's mind our own business. Let's study to work hard. And that work hard is let's study to love that world around us that is in such a desperate need at this point in time for that love. Amen? All right, so now that we're done with 1 Thessalonians 4.11, jump back to Exodus chapter 33. This is probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I ponder this all the time. Moses is hanging out with God, and they're talking about the promised land. And God's like, hey, when are you guys leaving for the promised land? And Moses is like, hey, um, and just so you're, you're in context, we're right in here, right around verse... 
15, we'll, start, we'll say it starts is where I'm really focusing on. So God's like, hey, when are you leaving? And, and Moses is like, as soon as you tell me who's going with us. And God's like, listen, I'm going to send an angel with you because I'm just frustrated with you people. And if I go, I'm going to kill you all. And Moses says, now I'm giving you the Dwayne Standard Version just for, for time's sake because Sammy's all freaked out about quarter after 12. And Moses says to God, he says, listen, oh, look, I touched my face, but it's okay. I washed my hands, right? <laughs> um, I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, yeah? Listen, um, Moses says, if you don't take us, we're not going. Right? Because you said I found favor in your sight. You said you're proud of me. You said you love me. All of these things. If you don't lead us, we're not going. Because it's your presence that makes us different. It's your presence that makes us make a difference. Everybody clear on that? You know what he didn't say right there? Your presence makes us right. It's not what it said. The problem is, for too long, and I don't mean to be condescending towards the church, I don't mean to come across as judgmental towards the church, but the reality is, for far too long, the church has used this and said, we're right. And we're going to do everything we can to prove to the world around us that we're right. Here's the funny part is Moses, he's there, he's like, it's your presence that makes us different. And then later, it's talking about the presence of God filling the, the tent, filling the tabernacle. And the people said, we don't want to go there. We're scared of God's presence. Moses, you go. And so because they weren't in the presence of God, here's what they did. They came up with a bunch of laws that made themselves right. And so everybody would see that they were different because they were right, not because of the presence. I'm going to let that one sink in for a second for some of you. His presence makes us different. Moses finishes that particular passage by saying this. God says, okay, I'm coming. And Moses says this, he says, show me your glory. Show me how awesome you actually are. Show me how wonderful you truly are. Give me all of those things so that I can have a standard to reach for. Show me your glory so that I know where the bar is so that I can reach for that bar. Not that I'm ever going to get it, but that I can reach for it. Does that make sense? So let's fast forward now to this world that we live in, this, this world we call 2020, where there's this pandemic. I read some, one of my, I got, I got some, I got some friends, bless their heart, <laughs> who post stuff on Facebook. Um, and because they read it on Facebook, they figure it's got to be true and they should repost it. 
And, and so this one, he's like, this doctor's calling this a media hoax and the word pandemic. And, and they actually said this. They quoted this doctor saying the word pandemic just means new virus. I'm, I'm not a Latin major but in any capacity, but I have Google. And if you Google the definition of a pandemic, it says a virus or disease that afflicts a nation or many nations. Doesn't mean new virus. Because the reality is coronavirus has been around for a really long time. The Israeli government has been studying corona for seven years. Right? This is, this is something that it doesn't mean that. And so here we are and we're, we're here. And so we're coming up with all of our rules now to make us right. And because the world will think we're right, then we'll be different. And it's crazy because we're here and the church is saying things like, oh, this isn't. And, and I, I want to be, be careful when I say the church. Certain Christian people are saying things like, oh, if you're buying that much toilet paper, you just need to have faith. Okay. And they're saying things like, oh, God is not giving you a spirit of fear. Because that's our, that's our deal, right? And anything. And, and if I could sidebar just for a second, um, every human on the planet has four base emotions, okay? Do you know what they are? Fear, joy, anger, and sorrow, right? And now everybody always says, well, love. Love is not an emotion. Love is an action, right? Love is the result of an emotion. If you read John 3, 16, it's very clear. It says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, right? The, the, the action, there's actions involved in that love, right? So, so we, here we are and we live in this crazy world and we say to people these things. If you're mad, get over it, right? So we say, don't be scared. Don't be mad. If you're sad, get over it. And we wonder why joy is such a mess in our world. We strip away three of your emotions right away, and then we leave you with one, and we say, okay, now figure it out. And it's crazy. And so now we live in this world where everything's going crazy, and the Christians, instead of saying, oh, hey, you know what? Maybe this fear isn't such a bad thing. It's freaking me out right now that 30% of the population is like, man, I got to make sure I wash my hands. This is not new science, right? I remember being in grade two and the teacher saying, wash your hands. It's not new science. Wash your hands. But every, oh, I got to wash my, okay, perfect. I remember when Kellen was born, as sick as he was, all the crazy, and I looked at a pastor friend of mine, I'm not going to tell you who it was, but I said, I'm afraid. And they said, How, you need to have faith. God isn't giving you a spirit of fear. And I lived, this is, this is true, I was in emotional turmoil for a really long time because all of a sudden I'm wrestling with the fact that I have this fear and because of the, in context of what I was told, I couldn't have faith. And it's crazy. 
That, that, that whole thought process is crazy. You're right. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but he did give you an emotion of fear. In fact, the Bible gives us three very real points about fear. It gives us a wisdom of fear, an emotion of fear, and a spirit of fear. And if you're sitting there saying, wow, I should jump off a building, your emotion of fear and your wisdom of fear is what comes up and says, is that really the smartest thing you can do right now? Right? And if you're on top of a burning building and the only way you get a, can do it is jump, it's your emotion and wisdom of fear that makes you look and say, okay, where's the best place for me to jump? Where are all those things? Do you see how it works? Right? So if we're using our emotion and saying, okay, what am I actually afraid of? And actually deciding how we're going to mitigate it. We're moving things forward. And we become that sound mind that the world so desperately needs. You see the problem? Right now, the world is working under a spirit of fear. And the problem is most of us are just adding to it. Because we're mocking it, we're doing it. But if we have that sound mind and we say things like, listen, I'm here for you. You got 300 rolls of toilet paper and you feel like you need 10 more, you call me. I'll see what I can do for you. Because it's that that gives me the ability to then speak life into that situation. Are you hearing me? And that's what we need to do right now. We have this brilliant opportunity to say, God, your presence makes us different. And in this moment, in the presence of COVID-19, in the presence of all of this stuff, show us your glory. Show us your glory so that we have a standard to reach towards so that we can go out and show the world different. I've been in full-time ministry 20 years. Most of, most of my adult life, even in the crazy, I was, I've been involved in doing ministry and I've never had the joy of, of being a pastor in a normal church, okay? I've, 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 never, I've never had the, and I, I used to always think, man, it'd be great, you know, if I could just get a, 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 a job, a regular church job, right? And, uh, and a pastor friend of mine's like, you would die. <laughs> like, probably. And he's like, no, I mean, like, they would kill you. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, probably, because I just, I, I don't, that, that, that's not me. That's not what I do, right? And so my whole thing is to get out and, and actually meet people. And looking at this, this whole neighbor's thing, um, it's funny. I don't know why this thing is bouncing around on my head, but we'll get her figured out. Um, I'm very passionate about it because I'm very much relational. Now, I haven't always done relationships well. I haven't always done relationships to the benefit of other people, uh, to, my, to my critique and to my embarrassment. I probably have done relationships more self-interested than I should have a lot of times. But in this whole process, I've managed to, to say, okay, God, how do, I, how do I be better at loving the world around me? 
And when we talk about, about neighbors, being neighborly, that's, that's really the question that we're asking. How do I be better at loving the world around me? And in that, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 5, I preached this message. I started pondering this message about four months ago. Um, And God really started to highlight some things in the story for me about three months ago. And and the message is this, the, the five laws of relationships, why they work and why we do them wrong. And uh, I started pondering this because I really want to have my relationships all mean something. Now, this, this, it, it's funny. As soon as you oh, the five laws of relationships, right away, everybody thinks you're talking about dating, right? And, and I was like, yep, yeah, but no. And, and originally, I'd called this the five laws of discipleship. And I was like, well, oh, and it never sat right. And I was like, it's the five laws of mentorship. And I was like, uh, no. Because both mentorship and discipleship are all a result of relationship, right? If you're not in relationship with someone, you're never going to have the opportunity to disciple them properly. You're never going to have the opportunity to mentor them properly. It's all about relationship. And if if you have any time to spend with Heidi and I, we make a big deal about the relationships we build with people. Because it's that that gives everybody the right to mentor us and us the right to mentor them. Does that make sense? And that's the risk. See, anytime you're giving yourself, giving, you, you want access to someone, you have to give access to yourself to them. Right? I have pictures, I have visions of Jesus sitting around the fire watching all of the stupid <laughs> And shaking his head, and and and, but still playing along. Right, not not sinning, not being, but but just being there and giving them as much as he gave all of the disciples access to him. Right, he went with them. It was a two-way street, and they'd come and they'd say, "Wow, this is how we fish." And he'd say, oh, oh, that's good. Try it this way. Because it always mattered. And so Jesus, he shows up and he's, he's got all of these people following him. And he shows up on the shore and there's a boat. And it says he asked permission to get in the boat. Nope, that's not at all what it says. It just says he got in the boat. And he says to Simon, just put out in the water a little bit. Here's the crazy thing about what Jesus did in that moment. If you're taking notes, this is law number one. Law number one is is get in the boat or get in the middle. Because the very first thing that he did was he got in the middle of Simon's world. Everything about Simon revolved around that boat. He got right in the middle of the boat and made everything that mattered to Simon matter to him. 
He didn't say to Simon, and I, it's funny because I'll always say to people, when I'm talking about the five laws, they'll be like, oh, what do you mean? And I say, hey, what's the first thing that happened when Jesus met Simon? And 99% of the time people say, he told him, come follow me. Nope, that's the last thing that happened. The first thing that happened was he got in the boat. He got in the boat and he survived the awkward that was his getting in the boat. He survived the the look of, why are you in my boat? Because I got to tell you, if I was up all night fishing and I was trying to get my work done so I could go to bed and you got in my boat, you would get the, why are you in my boat? Right? If you're a Facebooker, Simon's probably saying WTF. What the fisherman? But he's there in the boat. And he survives the awkward. Simon survives the awkward. Jesus survives the awkward. Why are you in my boat? Why am I in your boat? What can you do for me? What can you do for me? And all of that stuff is happening in that whole crazy conversation. Here's the first thing that we do wrong is as soon as somebody comes and gets into our world, we automatically try to decide one of three things. Right? We try to decide what they're there for, what they can do for us, right? and how do I best utilize you. Three things, 90% of the people, as soon as someone comes and gets in your proximity, that's the awkward that we go through. We don't do well with just the awkward of being right there. Right? We, we have this thing, and we call it awkward silence, right? We're there, they're there, and I have a picture of, of Jesus looking at Simon, and Simon looking at Jesus, and the crowd looking at both of them, and everybody just awkward. And it was okay. Because Jesus was taking his time to position himself in the center of Simon's world. And at that moment, everything that mattered to Simon mattered to Jesus. You want to know what else happened in that moment? Jesus didn't make anything that mattered to him Simon's responsibility. He just left it Simon's moment. When we're starting relationships with people, and even when we're growing the relationships we have with people deeper, we just need to let that moment be about them. Here's the great part, is if we're in a relationship and I'm making the moment about you and you're making the moment about me, we, all of, we automatically start to make the moment about him. But we'll get to that a little bit later on. So number two is Jesus starts talking. But Jesus is not rude. Right? He's not rude. He's not intrusive. He's not ignorant. He's none of those things. And so they're in the boat And because of water acoustics and all of that stuff, Jesus doesn't have to yell for the people to hear him. He can just talk normally. This is what I actually think happened there because the Bible just says Jesus kept talking, right? I actually think Jesus had a really deep, meaningful conversation with Simon that everybody on the shore got to hear. Let that one sink in for a second. 
right? Here's Jesus, and he's got a hundred or a thousand people on the shore all wanting a piece of him, and he gets into Simon's boat and makes that whole moment all about Simon and has a deep personal conversation with Simon for everyone else's benefit. Listen, we're in a time now when we need to actually have deep, meaningful conversations with people. No more of this superficial, oh, did you watch last night's football game conversation and say, oh, yeah, we know each other because we we talk about football. No, let's actually seize opportunities to have meaningful conversations with people and give people permission to have meaningful conversations with us. Rule number two, have a meaningful conversation. I went and watched this movie, um, Won't You Be My Neighbor? I think that's what it's called. Or Welcome to My... It's the Mr. Rogers movie, Tom Hanks, right? Brilliant. If you haven't seen it, it's a brilliant movie. I love it. But Mr. Rogers in there makes this quote, and I thought maybe it was part of the script. We looked it up. It wasn't. He actually said it two times. Once he was talking to a room full of, of children's people, And once he was talking to a room full of military generals, and he said the same thing both times. He said this, anything human is mentionable. Anything mentionable is manageable. I'm going to tell you why this is profound. The same way Mr. Rogers did. To this room full of generals, he said this, and he said, if we give permission to people to start talking about the things they're thinking about, we will start to heal mental illness naturally. Because what we've done is we've created this world where we tell everybody, oh, people won't understand that. You can't talk to people about that. You can't say those things. You can't do those things. And so we've created this world where nobody trusts anybody, and everybody's got everything stuck inside of their head. And the Bible says, as a man thinks, so that man is. So if you've got all kinds of garbage stuck in your head and you have no way to let it out, what do you think is going to happen? And so here's Jesus having this deep, meaningful conversation with Simon because as Jesus is pouring his heart out to Simon, he's giving Simon permission to pour his heart out back to him. You guys getting this? It's time. It's time that we stop making the conversation about the things we want to talk about and start allowing the conversation to be about the things people need to talk about. And again, to my embarrassment, I've had relationships with people in my life where it was all about me and what I wanted, and I'm desperately trying to stop that and make sure that I'm having conversations with people that people want to have. So then Jesus says to Simon, they've had their conversation, and he says something crazy. He says, why don't you put out in the deep a little bit and throw your nets down? And Simon looked at him like he had a third eye. Like, obviously, you're not a fisherman. Because the reason we fish with nets at night is because the fish swim to the surface. So when the sun comes up, the fish swim lower. The nets won't catch them. And Jesus is like, yeah, maybe, but try it anyway. Here's your third law. Challenge them to be different in who they already are. 
Don't challenge them to be different in what they've never done. That comes later. Just challenge them to be different in what they already do. Let that one sink in for a second. Because I bet you each one of us can look at our relationships and find at least three times when we were saying to people, just go and be different altogether. And there's no bridge to get them from there to there. And then we wonder why people fail. Just challenge them to be different in what they're already doing. Right? It's like the angry parents. You see them in the movie. Let's play the quiet game. <laughs> right? Because what you're doing right now is talking and what I want you to do is shut up. Let's play the quiet game. And as the kid waits, in 30 seconds, he starts talking. Oh, yeah, there, 30. Okay, let's try to be a little different now. Let's only try to have a meaningful conversation for two minutes. Let's try to only tell a different joke for two minutes. Whatever it is, challenge them to be different in what they're already doing. My buddy Jordan owns the McDonald's in uh, Coaldale, Tabor, and Brooks. We were talking, and he has as an employee, and he's like, this person could be great, but this, and I says, just challenge them in that and what they already do. He's like, what do you mean? And we talked about it, and they came up with a plan, and so he took this manager, and he just started to challenge them to do little things differently that were already in their job. Three months later, the person is completely different because they naturally were able to rise to the challenge. Here's the, where we fall down. So rule three is, is challenge them to be different in what they're already doing. But rule number four, and this is, I, I find, the most profound of all the rules, is, uh, is the Bible only actually records two people in that boat. Right? It only ever talks about Jesus and Peter being in that boat. But it says they caught so many fish, they could not pull in the net. Let that one hit you like a ton of bricks for a second. They could not pull in the net. If the Bible only records two people being in the boat, Jesus and Peter, then either Peter had lice or Jesus was with him pulling on the net. And I want you to get a picture in your brain of the king of the universe kneeled down in that boat right next to Peter pulling on that net because when Peter accepted the challenge, Jesus stepped up to help him complete it. We need to stop telling people, oh, you want to be different, do this, and then watching instead of getting right involved and starting to pull on their net with them and making their world a part of your world and making their work a part of your work because that's how this whole thing gets better. But it's easier to say, if you want to be different, just, and I've done that. I'm guilty. But it's easy to say, oh, just do this. Just do this, just do this, right? I'm the, the chaplain of the Fort McLeod Detox Center now, and at least once a week they call and they say, this guy's got to get to treatment. I've driven a bunch of people to Pinoca, Medicine Hat, South Country, all over the place, and here's their idea. If I don't drive them to Pinoca, then they got to take a bus to Red Deer. Right? Because the bus gets into Red Deer after the intake at Pinoca, they have to spend the day and night in Red Deer and then catch a cab or hitchhike to Pinoca the next day. 
And none of this says we're setting people up for success. So we're taking a people who are struggling to keep their wits about them, struggling to stay clean, and say, here, just go be all alone in a strange city in a hotel room. Right? And anybody that's even looked at an addiction knows that that's just a stupid idea. And so they call and they say, Dwayne, can you get this person to Pinocchio? And I say, yes. Period. No matter what. I'm like, yes. Because that's, that's I'm passionate about is what I need to do. And, and everybody with any common sense would say, Dwayne, you haven't worked since August. You're raising your own salary. How do you afford gas money? I say, I have no idea. But I'm going to do it. Because I need to make this person accepted the challenge. They accepted the challenge to do something in their world a little different. I got to work with them. I got to do my part. Does that make sense? So we need to stop saying, here's your challenge. You call me when you're done your challenge and I'll give you the next. No, let's start pulling on the net. And here we're going to get to the final place and then we're going to talk to Jesus a little bit because I need Sammy and my wife to get out of here for the AGM without interrupting me. Is this, they catch, they call and people come out and they get all the fish in and Simon stands up and he looks at Jesus and he says, leave me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, I'm not going anywhere. Jesus looks right at Simon, dead in the eye. He says, listen, I tell you what, you can leave if you want to. But I'm not leaving you. I don't care about what it is you've done. I don't care about what it is that you're doing. I don't care about what it is that you're struggling with. I'm right here. And I'm not going anywhere. We gotta stop leaving people. We we gotta stop that. We gotta stop telling people, oh, that's it. Cross you know I've been in church for three weeks. That's it, we're done with you. We we gotta we gotta stop. Oh, be a little controversial. Not meaning to. I'm not saying this because I like to be controversial, but it is. Here's the reality: is we gotta stop portraying ourselves as being right and telling everybody else, if you want to be a part of us, you gotta be right. You gotta follow all of our rules. We gotta stop saying that, and we just gotta start saying to people, you know what? I love you. I'm here for you, and I'm not going anywhere. And I don't care what it is you're struggling with. I want to be a safe place that whatever it is that's in your head, that has, you can trust it to be mentionable. Because if we can get it out of your head, and so we can all have a conversation. Now I'm going to say something that's going to freak some of you out, and I personally don't care. If you do, get freaked out. You want to talk to me about it afterwards, great. A couple of weeks ago, I really, really, really love um, unsolved mysteries. True crime. Problem is most unsolved mysteries are around horrific murders. Okay? And if you put that stuff in your head all the time, you're going to have some stupid thoughts rumbling around in your head all the time. So I was listening to a whole bunch of podcasts. I got a bunch. And uh, we had a friend over for dinner, and I was playing with a steak knife, and I was like, and this thought comes into my head, I could stab you in the throat. Now, hold on. 
Anybody that knows me, anybody that knows me knows I wouldn't do it. Right? But the thought was there. Here's the problem. If we don't do something to deal with the thought, where does it stay? There. And bad thoughts in your head are like rabbits on the prairie. They just multiply like crazy. It's true. It's true. I know it's, it, it might have been bad, but it's true, right? Bad thoughts. And, and you, you all, come on, I'm not the only one ever had a bad thought. Everybody in here is like, we're all just like Jesus. Oh. No, they're just, you got to get it out. And so the company left, and I deleted all of my, my true crime podcasts off of my phone. I said to my wife, I said, honey, I'm going to stop doing this. Because this was the thought. And she had this look on her face. Because <laughs> it kind of said, you know, if somebody says that to you, it's going to freak you out a little bit. But right away, she's like, yeah. Wait, that's a good idea. It makes sense. You know what I haven't had since then? That thought. You see what I'm saying? Right? But we have that choice. When that thought comes out, we have that choice. Be like, oh, okay, you're nuts. I'm out of here. No, we got to stop refusing to leave the people. We got to get back to the place where we're able to say, you know what, God? Give me the courage to remain planted where you put me, in front of the people that you put me in front of, so that we can go out and show the world what neighbor actually looks like. So let's go out and let's First Thessalonians 4.11. Let's shut up and mind our own business. Let's allow his presence to make us different. And let's use these five laws that Jesus used. Now, every time, if you read any story that Jesus had a conversation with another person, you will find those five laws that happened. Where he always made the other person, even the times when he was talking sarcastic to them, he was still using those five laws. Because he was all about getting the relationship to the point where the people knew that he was for them. Here's the crazy part about Simon, is because of this relationship, because of these five laws, Simon was suddenly able to say anything to Jesus, and Jesus was able to say anything to Simon. And when Simon said something stupid, Jesus could talk to him about it in a way that Simon wouldn't get, oh, I'm all offended, and I need to go home. Right? Because most people, if somebody called you Satan, you'd be pretty aggravated and want to go for a coffee with someone else. Right? But Simon doesn't. He takes it and realizes that Jesus is only saying it because Simon's whole world mattered to Jesus. And here's the crazy part. Because if, if, if they had, here's Jesus, and he sends the disciples out on the boat. He's like, you go and I'll catch up with you. And none of the disciples are smart enough to figure out that he doesn't have a boat. Right? We left in the boat and you're going to catch up to us, but you got no boat. And then all of a sudden there's this crazy storm happening and they see this dude walking on the water. And they're like, oh, that's how you were going to do it. And Simon says this, he says, Lord, if that's you, call to me and I'll come to you. Right? And Jesus says, yeah, it's me, come on out. And here's the thing, Simon steps out of the crazy into the crazier. Because of the relationship, Simon's able to say, you know what? This is nuts here and it's more nuts there, but I'd rather be with my friend in the nuts than in the boat with the other nuts. You know what I'm saying? 
So here's Jesus, and if we all study this, then we're saying, hey, Jesus, in the presence of COVID-19, call me and I'm coming. In the presence of the panic, call me and I'm coming. In the presence of all of the weird that's going on in the world around us, call me and I'm willing to come out. And now we're at the place now where the world is freaking out. There is a storm happening, and we have been positioned for such a time as this for Jesus to say, okay, you Christians, get out of your boat and go take your toilet paper over to that person over there because they need 310, or go take whatever over to that person and start to be ready and start to refuse to leave and start to do everything to make that person matter so that when the world starts, and the Bible says this, it says in the end days, People's faith will fail them because of fear. You want to know what helps people not be afraid? Having somebody standing right beside them. Can somebody say, you know what, I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. I'm right here, and I love you, and I'm not going anywhere. Let's go forward. So, hey, God, thanks for today. Thanks for every good and perfect gift that comes from you. And as crazy as it sounds, thanks for the weird that's in our world. Because it's, it's our crazy that reminds us of our need for you. I don't know where anyone here is at. But if you're struggling today, if you're struggling today and you're saying, hey, Dwayne, I am a little worried about this. Not just COVID-19, but life. I want you to know we're here for you. So Jesus, you would send the Holy Spirit into this place to be the comforter that you promised us he'd be overwhelm us with your goodness and your love and your mercy today. But teach us to build good, solid relationships. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. The band is going to play. They're going to do a song. If you want prayer, I'm going to be up here.